0: That's that's amazing, isn't it? Those Bibles you held up or your cell phone if you've got U you version on it, uh let's go to First Kings. And we're gonna be at chapter twenty-one of First Kings. We're in the second week of our series, uh, once upon a marriage. And uh a little bit of uh participation again, uh ladies that are here. Uh how many of you occasionally, perhaps uh, uh often battle with the need to have things the way You want them. How many of you would raise your hand and acknowledge that? Okay, thank you for being honest. That's awesome. You consider yourself to be a little bit controlling. Any of you? Okay. That's not in my notes that you're you're right. Um, Yeah, evidently it's one of those lines I didn't get. eh, Amen. Okay, fellas, now your turn. How many of you, uh, though you're aggressive in business... Aggressive in your hobbies, but how many of you would say that at least occasionally or maybe in some important areas of your life, you're a little too easygoing? Uh you kind of go with the flow and you're kind of passive. Any of you guys? Okay. Now, ladies, if you're sitting next to a guy that's really passive and, and you're the controlling person and you know that uh being passive, he is passive, he didn't raise his hand, you can go ahead and do that for him. No, that's okay. <laughs> We're gonna talk about a couple today that, uh, to me, uh, is, is probably the worst marriage in the Bible. Uh, these two were amazing. And uh, King Ahab and his very evil wife, Jezebel. Have you ever in your life ever met a girl named Jezebel? I never have. I never have. I never have met a girl named Jezebel. Because I believe it's universal that that name is evil. <laughs> so if I if you run into a girl named Jezebel, run, man. Run. Even if she is drop-dead gorgeous, run, brother. Run. Uh, as the old lost-in-space uh, robot used to say, warning, warning, warning. There's danger, Will Robinson. Yes, run. Ahab was, uh, let me give you a little context here for the message. King Ahab was the seventh king of the northern kingdom of Israel, ruled for about 20 years from 875 to 855 BC. He was honestly a strong military and political leader, but as is the case so often, uh, there was, this was a guy who, even though he's a go-getter in one area, for some reason, and it's not really uncommon uh, for, for men, but this guy was rather passive at home. And apparently, that was his weakness. Uh, he could have led people. And he could have led the people of God back to the one true God. But what was happening in his time uh, is that they were drifting into some very unusual and unbiblical practices. They were involved in calf worship, of all things. And when he married this woman named Jezebel, whose name uh, means, where is Baal? Isn't that interesting? Under her influence, he led the people further away from the one true god and they they went into idolatry into baal worship and scripture says that this man did more evil and we read it earlier and let me read it to you again not one else uh, or no one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the in the lord's sight as ahab that's what he says in first kings 21 and verse 25 but i want you to notice that he didn't do it alone uh, the bible says the Bible says that he did it under the influence of his wife, Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel represent two of the most common problems in marriage, in any marriage throughout history. Ahab represents the passive husband, and Jezebel represents the controlling wife. So we want to look at their lives and see what we can learn from them and let's start with that passive husband and pick it up at verses 2 through 4 again let me lay a little context for you king ahab had a neighbor his name was naboth and naboth had this really sweet vineyard and so ahab saw uh, naboth's sweet vineyard and he thought i'd like to have that sweet vineyard for myself so he went out to get the vineyard And here's what happens in verse 2. Ahab says to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it's worth. That seems reasonable, doesn't it? And so the negotiations begin in verse 3. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because naboth the jezreelite said i will not give you the inheritance of my fathers so what did he do well the bible says he lay on his bed sulking and he refused to eat so let's call him what he is coward that's mild Oh, powder that's mild he's a wuss is not he let's call him what he is No backbone. Well, of course that's that's my version. (laughs) He was. I don't think that's in the Hebrew there, by the way. But he's entering into this business negotiation for a piece of real estate. He makes an offer. The other guy says, "Hey, wait a minute! This was the king making the offer. I should be able to get a lot more money out of this." So he holds out and uh, doesn't make the deal. And so the king then just basically takes his ball and goes home, doesn't he? And starts pouting. In marriage, whenever a man feels like I will never measure up to what she wants, I will never be good enough, I will never be like her father, I will never be able to please her because every time I try, she tells me I don't. And if we do not feel like we can win, we often take our ball and we go home, we crawl under the bed and we sulk. Very sad, very disgusting, but very true, the passive man. Now let's look at the controlling wife. In verses 5 through 7. Verse 5. His wife Jezebel came in and she asked him, Why are you so sullen? Why don't you eat? Now I may be reading into her tone here, but look at verse 6. He answered her, Because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, Sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. I can't have my vegetable garden, okay? Now watch what she does in verse 7. Jezebel, his wife, said... Is this how you act as the king of Israel? Is this how you act as the king over Israel? You big whiner. You loser. You little crybaby. She says, get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get your vineyard. I'll get that vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So in other words, you can't do it yourself. Move out of the way. Let somebody who knows how to get it done, get it done. Now, ladies, I will tell you something that you probably already know, that we men really don't like to admit. We are very insecure at one point or another in our lives. Have you discovered that yet? Often the stronger we portray ourselves outwardly, the more vulnerable or weak we feel inside. You can go all the way back to the garden and you can see this. God created everything. It was good. Animals good. Mountains good. Everything was good. But then he looked and he said, it's not good that man be alone. Because as I, and I, I'm reading into this, but I just think that Adam was sitting there sulking when he looked at all the other animals and they each had their own mate. And poor Adam sitting there on the side of the hill. Right? Ladies, isn't that what you see a lot? Especially when we're sick. Oh, we're pathetic when we're sick. My favorite commercial is the guy's laying there. I think it's a NyQuil or DayQuil commercial. He's laying there on the sofa and he's obviously sick. And, he, and the and the remote is like within my reach of that bottle of water. I can't reach the remote. And she throws a bottle of NyQuil. I'm surprised that that was all she threw at him. God brings to man... In his need, woman. Beautiful, fun. And then God says that she's to be your helper, your helpmate. And some women get insulted by that. And I don't want you to be. It's sad to me because it's really such an important role. Because the wife in the husband's life is necessary to help him become all that God wants him to be. But here's the key, ladies. Those of you who are wives need to understand It all depends on how you treat your husband. You can take a man who is already weak. You can help him become a stronger man of God. That's what godly women will do. A godly woman will help a weak man become stronger. But a controlling woman will always make a weak man weaker. It's exactly what Jezebel did in the life of her husband King Ahab. She did it by doing two things. And these two things are still the two major things that will make a weak man weaker. The first thing she did is that she belittled her husband with her words. Look at verse 7. Is this how you act as the king over Israel? In other words, you're not, do, you're, you're not doing what you should. You never do what's right. Ladies, we've got to understand that what you say about your husband is either building him up or tearing him down. And that works across the board in all of our lives. And I've told you Ephesians 4 church is a church that lets good words come out of your mouth. Wholesome words, words that build up and edify, you see. We need to be encouragers, not discouragers. My boys, every day when they went to school, I said, be an encourager, not a discourager. Every day. And they would get out of school, and I'd say, were you an encourager today? No, Dad. Did you make a new friend today? No, Dad. And they would just go on it. But it was the same drill all the time, because I want them to learn to be an encourager. And they said, we don't have anybody to be new friends with. I said, you look around the class and you see somebody who's sitting by themselves and you go be a friend to them. I don't want to do that, Dad. Nobody wants to be their friend. I said, Well, you be their friend. Those words are powerful, aren't they? Words are powerful. And so, ladies, you've got to understand that you're going to either build him up or you're going to tear him down. And he is becoming what you speak about him. Proverbs says there is power of the power of life or death is in words. Sadly, so often the controlling wife will tear her husband down over and over again with those belittling words and critical words. In the Christian church world, probably the most common complaint I hear from Christian wives is he's just not leading me spiritually. He's just not the right spiritual leader. And so a pastor was working with a couple. I love this story. And she was whining about uh, that he wasn't a spiritual leader. A pastor uh, talked to her and uh, he said to the guy, okay, well, let's try this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray with her. And so the guy says, well, I don't really know how to pray. So the pastor says, okay, well, let's just try this. Dear God, and then just say one or two other sentences along with that. And, and, and you know, uh, th- that right there can help save uh, and, and create a, a godly marriage. Can you do that? And he says, well, I think I can try that. So he He did. Went home, he tried, he came back, and the pastor said, well, how'd it go? And he says, well, I tried to pray, and I don't think it was very good, but I tried, and when I got through, this is what she said. You call that a prayer? You think God's going to answer that? And the pastor's heart was broken for their marriage because what she had had just done was basically said to him, you're not ever going to win in that category of life. So he's going to take his ball, he's going to go home, and he's not going to ever try again because she's just belittled him with her words. And here's what she should have done, and I'm kind of half-joking, but somewhat serious here. She should have said, man, thank you so much. I'm so grateful that you went to God on our behalf. And then she should have laid the most aggressive, hard, 30-minute kiss on him one that he had never experienced his whole entire life. And the reason I'm saying that is because what is rewarded is repeated. <laughs> what is rewarded is repeated. Think of us ladies like a puppy dog. You say, come here, doggie. Come here, good doggie. Scratch us behind the ears and we're going to wag our tails and come back and do anything that will please you but if you throw a newspaper at us and you call us a bad dog what kind of prayer was that we're going to go off into the corner we're going to sulk we're going to become passive and we're not going to feel like we could ever win at that part of our life a godly woman can make a weak man stronger a controlling woman can make a weak man weaker and I, I don't want to drive this too much but Here's what I want you to understand. No man has ever crawled out from the constant complaining of his wife, a better man. Even if everything that she says is true. I'm not saying that he may not whatever, but he may not be a leader. But he will never crawl out of constant complaining, a better man. Even if you say one, everything that you say is 100% accurate and true. Your role is so important in his life. And the second way a controlling woman makes a weak man weaker is simply she takes over. Watch as Jezebel does this and takes the driver's seat. So look at verse 7. In the middle of the verse, she says, Okay, you can't do it, you loser. I will get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. I will get it done since you can't. Now, let me give you a, a, another example. It's a little bit like when you're traveling in a car, there's the responsible person. And then there's the carefree seat. Which seat is the responsible seat? person behind the wheel is actually doing the driving. Where's the carefree seat? It's the passenger. So what does the, the carefree seat get to do? Play with the radio, drink the drinks, just uh, you know, recline your seat, just take a nap, right? Because the guy, person behind the wheel, they're the responsible one. And so uh, you just say, hey, man, this is awesome. But if you always control, if you always drive, eventually, ladies, you will condition your man that all he has to do is turn up the radio, chill, and relax in the passenger seat. And what's crazy is, and let me just say it, let me acknowledge it, sometimes there's a guy that just doesn't do anything. I, I understand that. So it's like you don't really have any choice. He won't work, and so you've got to feed the family, so you have to go out and get the job done, so... The wife has to take control i understand that and that happens more often than it should and, and i want to acknowledge that if that's you and, and god bless you for doing that because that's what you know you're supposed to do and i don't want to belittle that but god has positioned a man in a leadership role in a family and that man needs to be in the driver's seat and so, ladies, you need to help him get there. You need to help him stay there. And it happens with little bitty things over a period of time, doesn't it? Just cheat, 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 cheat. Pretty soon he checks out. He's done. Why try it again? It's not going to happen. Uh, for instance, he uh, says he will dress the kids one day. <laughs> and you're sitting there going, oh, great. And I can tell you it won't work. Men are the worst possible dressers of children because ladies you want everything to match you want the hair to be right you want all that stuff I mean what's the big deal with jelly still on their face I mean come on right so they come out after dad's done the dressing only for you to say what you've got to be kidding me and so what do you do ladies you grab the kid, you go back to the room and you change it and make it right Well, guess what? I doubt he's going to want to dress the kids in the future. There you go. (laughs) Because we're notorious for looking in the mirror going, looks good to me. (laughs) It fits. (laughs) Oh, I learned that early on. I wore black pants with brown shoes one day. I had a lady dress me up one side and down the other about how somebody needs to give me some blessings on how to dress. I said, the shoes fit, what's, what's the problem? <laughs> you know? It's all about that color, I guess, color coordination. Does anybody remember the song of Joseph Bell by Frankie Lane in 1950? Yes. He, he tells a story all about Joseph. I, be, I better look that one up. <laughs> I got it. All right. He right. <laughs> said, the off, is there ever was born without a bear in a bear in a Boy, he's got it memorized, doesn't he? You steer clear of that woman, Jim. (laughs) Man, oh man. Frankie Lane. Okay, got to look into that one. Unbelievable. Well, they're all starting to reminisce in the back. back (laughs) Hallelujah. So so God bring us back here. (laughs) All right. No, that's okay. It's funny how things pop into your head, isn't it? But how about a man vacuuming the house? He vacuums. He doesn't do the lines in the carpet just right. So what do you do? What is wrong with you? You Can't you do a straight line? How about a man that washes the clothes? You put the clothes in and then the laundry detergent, or you put the laundry detergent and then the clothes? Well, whichever way, if it's not your way, ladies, it's the wrong way. How about if he puts dishes in the dishwasher? You don't put cups over there, you put these over there. How many ways you okay, towels? Towels, there's another one. There's another one. And what? <laughs> Sherry's not here to defend herself, is she? Okay. Now, your life. <laughs> what's, what's the, what's, what am I trying to say? <laughs> Ladies, we ought to be grateful they're doing anything. <laughs> yeah. Praise God encourage that man so that he will get up and do what he needs to do. Because, you see, the kids are going to need to be disciplined. And if he doesn't do it the right way, you're going to jump in and do it for him. So pretty soon he's not going to do anything. And I realize that there are some women that are type A personalities. I understand that. And you, I mean, you are so planned and organized. As soon as you wake up, God says, okay, what do I need to do? I understand that. I understand that. But you know what I'm saying, give this guy a chance and and don't take control. Ride that passenger seat for a while. It may be the toughest thing you've ever done, ladies, but let me encourage you that way. Second thing is, and I suggest that you honestly uh, pray. I want you to pray and then stay out of the way. And that'll be the hardest thing you've ever done. Ask him to do something and then pray about it and go get out of the way and let him do it. Whatever it is, let him do it. Uh, I helped cook the breakfast yesterday for a men's breakfast. And s- first thing my wife said was, do you know how to cook breakfast and keep everything warm? I just smiled at her. I said, I bet you I can figure it out. I've been eating breakfast a long time. And the And the extra that I brought home to her, I didn't get any complaint at all. So interesting, isn't it? <clears throat> But pray, ladies, and, and, and just stay out of the way and let, let him do what he's going to do. But let me make a deal with the men for a minute. Perhaps the reason why Jezebel felt like she did and that she had to take control is because that she had a husband who hadn't done anything for a long time. Maybe in the home, he wasn't leading at all. And what I want to say to you guys is that you're God-given responsibility to lead. Scripture is very, very clear that in God's perfect world, The man is under the authority of Christ. The woman is under the authority of man. And I know a lot of women don't like that, but it's not a power thing I'm talking about. It's a thing of position. It's a position thing. It's God's ordained plan for the family. The husband, the man, should lead the family spiritually and in every possible way. And the woman should be a helper to him, but not take the driver's seat over him. And if you can get that formula working, Boy, it's a a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, The old thing, I always hated my mother to say, well, wait till your dad gets home. And of course, it was hours later before he would ever show up. And lo and behold, guess who met him at the door to to explain to him everything that went on some hours before. And you can just watch the color of his face go from, hey, what's happening, to I'm going to kill somebody. Any of you, any of you, see that scene? Yeah, and you hear the belt coming off the waistline. Yeah, yeah. If I did that, you know, the boys wanted me to do that because my pants would fall down. And I couldn't catch them. So, but remember, it's not a, it's not a power thing. It's a position thing. You don't have to teach a tiger to hunt. You don't have to teach a fish to swim. You don't have to teach a man to lead because men are born by God and empowered by God to do it. But you do need to encourage them. And guys, I want to give you three ways, when you look at your Bible, three major categories that God calls you to lead in. First of all, God calls you to be the provider. Now, let me just tell you what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that she has to be barefoot and pregnant at home and never, ever, ever, ever work. She can be a significant financial contributor to the family. It doesn't mean that you balance the checkbook when she's better at it. Let her do it. But what it does mean is that you set the financial tone and the direction for your family. What it means is you lead and you say, hey, guess what? We are not going to be like everyone else who is upside down in debt and and, and, and swallowing, pursuing material things and then being broke and miserable. You set the tone. You offer her the gift of financial stability, which will help her to come alive, because as a woman, she needs that. You lead your family to it. It doesn't mean that you have to be wealthy, but it it means that you need to be stable. You lead, and you say, you know what? We're a tithing family because we are followers of God. We honor God. We want to be under the blessings of God, and you lead in that way. Secondly, you lead her as protector. And it doesn't mean just if somebody breaks into your house. I mean, that's important. Be ready to... (laughs) To, to defend your family and, and and beat people up if you need to. and Whatever weapon you can find. But it does mean that you protect her in so many other ways as well. You protect her heart. You protect her emotions. You let her know that as long as she is with you, you will love her with your faithfulness in your actions, mind, and eyes. <laughs> Men, here is our problem right here. What we see can get us in trouble. You need to read a book called Every Man's Battle by Steve Arderburn. Arterburn, B-U-R-N. And uh, it's eye-opener. Ladies, I would encourage you to read it and you'll be mad when you read it because you're going to find out what men think and how they think. And you'll be very upset at your husband. And you may want to hit him and beat him, and that's okay. But I also want you to understand this is how he is. It's probably the best book. I wish I'd have read it when I was 15 years old. My sons don't know it yet, but they're going to be recipients of that book because it's important. Especially Mark, who's who's not married yet, he needs to read that book. And his future wife needs to read that book because it, it it's a powerful book. And uh, I would encourage you to pick it up. But you protect them. You protect that heart. You protect them and you let them know. You let that wife know that you're there for her. You protect them from uh, from any wrong kind of influences. That's what you do with your kids also. When when the friends aren't the right friends, then you don't let them hang around those friends. And they're going to get upset at you, and they're going to be mad at you, call you old fogey and you're worthless and all that stuff. Be a mean old dad. Be a mean old mom. And you just put that structure in their life. Because when they gra- you need to also be able to get to their cell phone and, and have access to everything on their cell phone. All the text messaging. If they won't let you see their Facebook or MySpace, if they have MySpace... Get them off. That's where all the predators are. If they won't let you see their My, My MySpace or their Facebook account, they've got something on that they don't want you to see. They've got pictures they posted that you probably aren't going to be happy with. So parents, be proactive. You're to protect your children. Thirdly, you need to be a pastor. Now you say, whoa, 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 whoa. Now I'm not saying you need to be a theologian. I'm not saying you need to have two hours every day that you exegetically go through the Bible and you study it, especially in the book of Revelation, and you're, you're an expounder of prophecy. I'm not talking about that at all. But what I am saying, and ladies, I don't want you to expect your guy to be that way, but I want you, uh, I want you to understand that you set the spiritual tone in your family. When it's church time, you be the leader to get them to church. Men, it's your job. You get them to church. My dad used to do that. He took us to church and then left. Well, I never, where I got my spiritual development was from my grandmother and my mother. But I should have got it from my dad. You see what I'm saying? You need to get spiritual development from the man in your house. If you're active in church, don't miss church. Even if you're out of town, find a church. And if you say, well, pastor, I just couldn't find a church. Good, we've got the service online by Monday. So get online and listen to it. Well, I'm. I'm I, hey, come on. You see what I'm saying? You can find a way to get to church, even if you put on the TV and listen to one of them wild-eyed evangelists on TV. Whatever it is, you get to church and let and be consistent and be there, so your kids and your wife will know that you mean business. You take charge, men. You take charge, and she may she may fight back, and she may uh, argue with you, but you stand firm and you say, honey, I'm leading us. Follow, follow. Okay. Your role as guys is not to make a lot of money, not to have a bigger house. Uh, don't insult the call of God in your life and, and, and to lower your calling. Uh, you need to be raising champ. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing that you can do is raise championship level kids for Christ. Now, you might drive all kinds of Sundays to get them into a soccer league, and you might drive all kinds of places to get them in a baseball league, but one thing that they will never, ever forget is when you get them to Jesus. and the water of baptism, what's what's awesome is when you as the dad baptize your own children. That's awesome. I had 104 temperature when Jeff was baptized in Branson, Missouri, but there's no way I was going to miss that service, and there's no way we were going to postpone it because he was ready to go. It was the shortest sermon I've ever preached in my life, and all the church said amen. <laughs> but I wanted to be a part of that in his life, not only as his pastor, but as his dad. And I encourage you parents, when mom and dad both, both of you baptize your children. That's awesome. So there's, a, there's, a, there's a great Bible picture right there. So there's nothing wrong with you doing that, because it's not important about who's doing the baptism, it's what's happening to the person who's in being baptized, amen. That's that's what's important, but ladies, empower your men. Move out of the way. Tell him, let's go. You you let us you you lead us, my friend. You lead us. Now let's get back to the story. Jezebel, she's she's all in control, all about control. And uh, to make a long story short, she says, "I'll get you that vineyard." She pulls together this elaborate and deceptive, evil plan. She goes and she gets Naboth. She brings him uh, into uh, basically this little party that she's throwing. She finds these two thugs and. Uh, She accuses him of cursing God and the king and that he didn't do it, but these thugs uh, beat him up and kill him. They stone him to death, actually. So uh, she she does what she set out to do. She murders him. But here's the question. Who does God hold responsible? Jezebel? Let's look at verse 15. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, now (laughs) watch this, get up. In parentheses, my my interpretation is, in Hebrew, you (laughs) loser. She says, get up. Take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive, but dead. Get up. I did it. You didn't. Okay? Verse 16. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up, went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. When you do something wrong, guess what? God's going to take notice. God's going to take notice. Elijah the prophet, the man of God, he comes and look at what he says in verse 18. Go down to the, uh, God tells him to go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard where he has gone to take possession of it. And God says to, to Elijah, say to him, this is what the Lord says. You have not murdered... You have not murdered a man and seized his property. Uh, excuse me. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then you say to him, This is what the Lord says. In the place where your dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. So who does God hold responsible? Ahab. The man. The man is responsible, even though Jezebel was the one that technically did it. It shows how important, gentlemen, your role is. If your wife and children don't make it spiritually, You think God's going to hold it against them? He's going to come check on you first. And we don't like that, do we? But it's the way it is. So I admire the men in our church that are willing to be what they should be. And I want to say publicly to you as as my church family that I want to give honor to my wife, Cindy, of 34 years. I could not do what I do without her help. I would be a much weaker man, but I'm stronger because of her help to me, her love for me. She has unconditionally taken me and helped me and molded me and said kind words to me. She has also said words that have caused me to think because that's what she's supposed to do. She says her spiritual gift is to keep me humble. I've not read that in any of the spiritual gift lists where the wife is to keep the husband humble, but she's convinced it's there. And hallelujah. And I'm glad that she does. And I'm so, so glad that I'm empowered to do and lead our family. But it's because she allows me to. And I'm so grateful for her. As so ladies, I pray that God will use you to make a weak man stronger. And that, gentlemen, you would step in and lead your family to where God would want you to lead them. Because I really believe that you can do it. I really believe you can do it. Before we sing an invitation song. We're going to sing a song, I Surrender All, and it's kind of a, a newer version. But the words are the same, tunes the same, but there's a little bit of attitude at the end, and it's powerful. And if you don't feel like singing it, just listen to it. Because God can minister to those words into your heart. But I want you to pray with me and before we share this song together. God, I want to ask that your Holy Spirit take this message and drive it into the hearts of your people in a way that I don't have words to say. God, I pray that you would release us, free us and empower us and give us the confidence to step into our God-given roles. God, for those that are not married, I pray that this would help build a foundation that one day when they do meet their number two, because you're always going to be the number one, that they would be better prepared to serve you with their two for the rest of their lives. God, for the marriages today, I would pray that you would do a healing, a healing thing in their lives, a divine work, in only the way that you can do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.